sweet of him. Look on the ASA. My gosh. They're all going against the wind. It was basically a cube with inside of sphere where the points of the cube uh, were touching outside of the sphere. So this isn't anything that just is limited to the United States. It's a worldwide phenomenon. Hi everyone and welcome back to That UFO Podcast. We are into February and I have on with me for his what must be third or fourth appearance now, investigative journalist and co-founder of The Debrief, which is one of the best websites out there in terms of not just UFO news, but science and all that kind of good stuff as well. I've got Tim McMillan. Tim, welcome back to the podcast. It is a pleasure to be here, Andy. Yeah, it is. I forget. I it is a third or fourth time. I don't know. It's always good chatting with you, you know, but I remember early on we, we got a chance to chat when you first launched this thing. And so it's fun to keep coming back, as you, especially as you've grown things up, man. It's fun to have watched this show. No, I thanks. Mm-hmm. I think that was the end of May or early June 2020. You were my fifth yeah. guest. So, yeah. yeah, it was fun, man. No, I could tell then this was going to be a fun show. So it's a pleasure to be back and always good to chat. Hopefully we'll who knows? We'll get some good stuff out. Yes, um, there's a lot to talk about, and this was one that I've spent a bit of time on, taking a lot of really good stuff out as well, I think, not just in terms of listener questions and, and topics, but just we couldn't cover everything in the time we've got. So um, I want to get right into it, Tim. Listen, we keep hearing that since maybe October, November, December through to this year, we're in a down period for the topic of UFOs and UAPs. For an investigative journalist like yourself, what has this quote-unquote down period been like? Oh, man, that's a good question. And I think it probably hasn't been nearly as uh, maybe anxious <laughs> as as it is for a lot of people who follow the topic really intimately. And, and I completely am sympathetic with people who are, uh, you know, these lulls where there's no information coming out. They're like, what the heck is going on? You know, it, it gets uh, it could get frustrating. Um, I guess, fortunately for me, UFOs are not something that I've always solely focused on, you know, in addition to, to running everything with the debrief and making sure that's going on. And it, that takes a lot of work, uh, you know, trying to start up an online news company. But my interest in general have always branched out. And in fact, my interest in national security defense type areas is what you could say it worked in reverse. That's what the fact when they started talking about UFOs is when my interest really grabbed hold and I started, you know, pursuing it from from a journalism standpoint. And so in these kind of lull periods, it, it hasn't felt like a lull period for me, <laughs> primarily because, and I think people who follow me on Twitter have probably seen it, uh, you know, there's been a lot going on in the world of geopolitics and defense. You've got a lot going on in Ukraine right now. So I've been, <laughs> I've still been very active and focused on stuff. It just, uh, in addition to the fact of working with stuff with UFOs as well. And, and I guess, uh, intermixed with all of that, you could also say I'm never, there's never a UFO lull period for me either, because I've always got something going on, but from the product that's coming out, I can see how people see that. But that's, it's kind of how I've always, I've worked, I'll work on stuff for a year before an article comes out, but you try to make it complete. But uh, there's constant work for me uh, behind the scenes. I'll say that much. Uh, 
So it hasn't felt like a law. No, and it's not to myself either. I think Dan and I have discussed this on a few of the breakdowns that I thought would have went really quiet for a while, but there's still been a lot of good interviews out there. I mean, Jim Semivan's just done a, a good one on Coast to Coast. Um, Colm Kelleher and uh, George Knapp were just on with Theories of Everything last night. Kurt Jaimungo, I'm wearing his hoodie just now, so thanks to, thanks to <laughs> Kurt. I mean, I did pay for it, so you know he can thank me as well. Uh, but <laughs> and also, you've got Chris Mellon releasing articles through the debrief, which we'll we'll talk about in a little while as well. So there's a lot to still get your teeth into, and if you look through, um, yeah, it's not been a quiet quiet period. I want to get an early listener question in because it fits in here um, from Pleasure Man, what a name on Twitter. Um, he said <laughs> the subject of UFO UAP is still after so many years not proven to be something extraordinary in terms of its origin. Basically, it can still be a lot of misidentifications. What's driving Tim to invest the time he has and does into the subject still? And I suppose that might touch on what you just mentioned about you can work on an article for a year before it even comes out. Sure. No, yeah. You know, I saw that when you you put that on Twitter asking for listener questions. And I saw that when I thought, man, that was a great question. I'm glad I'm glad that that made it Uh, because it is an interesting question because you're you're absolutely right. Uh, Or what was it? Pleasure, man. (laughs) You're absolutely right. It's very understandable that a lot of people who would spend significant time on this topic, you get frustrated after a while because you reach this wall. And I think if you're going to be if you're going to maintain a true air of legitimacy by where the standard of, of what is fact is evidence based, you reach this wall where you are you start and finish the same. Where you're like, I still don't know. <laughs> and, and that's frustrating. I think for the topic itself, what keeps me motivated and continues my interest in it. Uh, isn't for the same reasons that maybe a lot of people follow the subject for this idea that there's going to be a disclosure or this idea that we're going to reveal you know some sort of secret that, that's going to really change the course of human history. Maybe that will happen. I think that's awesome. I would love that. Uh, but at the same time, there's so many other variables of the UFO topic that I find fascinating. It, aside from just the idea of what are these objects? What are people seeing? But but it goes into, you know, how do we solve complex problems? You know, I've always been very interested in that. I, I pay a lot of attention to, it's part of the reason besides just having a, an interest in the defense world, in how would the defense world solve a complex problem like this? I, I think it's it's much more complex than people realize just based on all sorts of bureaucratic nuances and, and just junk in the system. It's uh, it's not something that the system is inherently set up to establish. And then even on that side, in the defense world side, it's a very fascinating problem to look at from just policy and, and political science. You look at it from, uh, you know, I do that in a lot of the people that I talk to is, uh, you know, this is a, you know, this is a problem that requires a whole of government approach. And uh, that is the, the especially the U.S. government. You know that that's the the government system that I'm most versed in. It's not something they're really well equipped to do, and I think that's interesting. And at the same time, I think there's some. You know, I don't want to make it sound more uh, you know, put more gravity into it than maybe it really is, but but at the same time, it is significant. There is kind of this moral. Uh, 
obligation to the idea that even if it's not UFOs, there can always be something that comes up. We've seen this with the pandemic where you need a whole of government approach. You need, you know, specific to UFOs, you need the DOD to work with the FBI or the Department of Energy or, uh, you know, some of them that aren't even defense or law enforcement agencies. So your science-based agencies like NASA or NOAA, you need all these people to work together. And this is not something that they do. <laughs> and, and I don't think people realize that they're very separate entities. Uh, and so that in itself is fascinating. How do you solve a complex problem in a bureaucratic uh, institution like this in government? And then at the same time, there's this mystery out there. And I think that's compelling. Uh, you know, I think that's why it lingers out there. I think it's a it's kind of a catch 22 mystery because a part of me wants to solve that mystery and absolutely would if I could. You know, if I got the big reveal, no, no, no doubts, I, I would tell the world. Uh, but at the same time, it's always once the mystery has gone, there's no more mystery. You know, anybody remembers the uh, the movie Seven with Brad Pitt when they. You know, he opens up the box, but they never show you what's in the box. Like, what's in the box? You know, all these things where, uh, you know, movies or book leave you with this cliffhanger and where you have a mystery because it can then be whatever it is to you. Uh, there's something alluring about a mystery as long as it exists. So I think as long as there is a mystery, as frustrating as it is for me, I, I think I'll keep chasing it just for that thrill of chasing a mystery. And I would encourage people to do the same. I think a lot of people get burnt out, frustrated. Um, a lot of antagonism goes on because I think they're trying to really get to that that goal line. But uh, at the end of the day, I don't know that any of us know what that goal line looks like anyway. It might not look like what they think anyway. Yeah, and it's like, a, I like the movie reference. I always think of Tarantino and Pulp Fiction, they open the gold briefcase. And it's uh, what's in the briefcase. Is it someone's soul? Is it gold? Is it this? Is it that? And there's all these incredible theories that, that link the movies together. But if you really, really found out, you would have been, ah, okay, it would have been the thing and that's it. And there's not that conversation and debate that happens around it. I think that the beauty, though, of this subject is, let's say, for example, one of these fast walkers, you, you wrote a great article mm -hmm. on that some time ago, we find out it's extraterrestrial that's not the end of the mystery is it because okay where are they from why are they here how long have they been here what's the tech you know are there more of them if there was no one inside who's controlling them i think it's one of those just incredible spider diagrams going back to school where you've just got all these bubbles and lines coming off of each other having that that, that debate and discussion around it sure yeah no it, it really it, it truly is and, and i know when I've interviewed scientists who work on uh, some of the, the techno signatures hunting stuff, so not necessarily specific to UFOs, but, but there's a big push now, and we've seen with the launch of the James Webb, where we're continuing to push out further into space, and we're increasingly become uh, you know, more sophisticated in our ability to potentially detect biological or technological life that exists out there. And you know, I always ask them, uh, I was like, does you ever stop and consider, you know, for some of these people who have spent their entire careers, gotten PhDs about this hunt for extraterrestrial life. I was that if <laughs> there are, excuse me, not if I think it's, it's, it's pretty much accepted that there has to be uh, intelligent life out there. And therefore that probably means they're looking too. If they haven't gotten here. So this is interesting idea. Do you ever think that you're out there with the big telescope 
peering out there. And at the same time, there is other intelligent life doing the same, perhaps peering back at us, perhaps trying to likewise develop the technology, or as a lot of people think when it comes to UFOs, they're already, you know, have already mastered that. So I think that's the, there's this, there's a incredibly interesting dynamic of it. And you're absolutely right. Once you even, you know, there, there's there's perhaps an endless number of mysteries that, that are associated with this. And, and that process of trying to solve it is interesting. Well, for the moment, keeping things a little bit more terrestrial, uh, you mentioned that compartment, compartmentalization uh, in the US government particularly, which happens in all governments. And I want to get your thoughts on the, the upcoming UFO office, because I think last time we spoke, it was on the Gillibrand Amendment and what could possibly happen, things coming from that. We obviously know the amendment went through with the proviso at the end of the day. We're going to have a legitimate UFO office and in the background right now, that's getting put together. What do you know right now that's happening in the background in terms of this office and, and what are your thoughts on it? Sure. Yeah. To the best of my knowledge, uh, the office that has uh, has been put together already that essentially uh you know, a lot of the concerns that maybe people expressed back in November that um, the office that the under, or the Undersecretary for Intelligence announced abruptly before the amendment ever passed that this was going to become it, uh, that is that exists. And I believe that that is going to, at this point, be the office that, that fulfills the requirements that were established through the legislation. Uh, there, you know, other people have told me that there is uh, significant potential for a parallel office to be run by the director of national intelligence. And, and I think if you really get into the, the nitty gritty of that bill, uh, it absolutely ambiguously infers that that's something that's going to be needed because, again, going back to this bureaucracy, the DOD and ODNI are separate entities. <laughs> so they're separate deals. So if you're going to work in concert with ODNI, ODNI has to have some kind of official body in place to work with. So you, you've got to have these Lego pieces fit together. So I, I certainly believe that there's going to be uh, a joint ODNI effort, but that I believe is still in the works. The one that the DOD has been kind of mandated uh, is up uh, to the best of my knowledge. Uh, I were, you know, who is, is running that office and who's involved in that office uh, I think that, uh, you, you know, you've heard some people like Christopher Mellon and Lou Elizondo express concerns about who's going to be involved with that. And I think that those concerns are are founded <laughs> uh, based on what I know. I, I think uh, just, uh, you know, looking at the staff summary sheet of who's involved in that office, um, you know, I, I wouldn't, uh, some I know, some I don't know. Uh, and, and some I know have been antagonistic towards the topic. So it's kind of like, oh my God, you know, do you want, uh, you know, do you, do you want the guy who absolutely hates your football team to be your quarterback on your team, <laughs> you know, type deal. And so there's some concerns there. Uh, at the same time, it's still very early on. And I think most importantly it, that Congress has really expressed, well, uh, regardless of what it looks like right now, or regardless of the product, uh, there's going to be expectations met by lawmakers. So I think it's still a fluid process. I think after you have your first kind of uh, 
your first briefings and your first when they, they meet with uh, the Armed Services Committee or the Intel's Committee and give them kind of an overview of the last three months or six months, whatever they're doing. Um, you know, obviously questions will be asked. It'll be interesting to see how this office changes or morphs based on is who they have in place right now currently going to produce the results that Congress wants to see. What are some of the pros and cons of the, the upcoming UFO office that we're, we're hoping to get that you can see? Is there anything you can think, starting with the pros first, what are, what are some of the best results that could come from it? I think the, the you know, obviously the biggest pros here for that, and it was really surprising when, when I saw that come out, is because, uh, you know, uh, and a lot of people maybe haven't really appreciated the fact that this was the first time in American history that you had uh, you had Congress openly legislating the UFO topic. You know, that's never happened before. Uh, Blue Book, you look at that. Blue Book was an eternal uh program started by the Air Force. They managed it themselves. You know, they may have provided results to the public, but but at no point in time were they mandated by Congress. They weren't mandated by law to do anything. They could close it whenever the heck they wanted to, which they did. Whereas in this one now, this is something that's mandated by law. So the way this system is supposed to work is that your lawmakers are elected by the people and they're supposed to express the will of the people onto the government services. And in this instance, they have expressed the will that this is a, this is a situation or issue that they want to see taken seriously. They want to see resources ad- allocated and dedicated to this. And so for the first time, you, you've got a government that cannot um, deny or diminish how much work they're putting into it because they're legally mandated to be putting this work into it. So there is this line of uh, accountability now. And so if they're saying, oh, we're not doing this or we're not doing that, or no, we don't take UFO reports or we don't look into them, you're like, well, then you're breaking the law and you have your lawmakers there who are supposed to hold them accountable for that. And so I think the fact that we're seeing the UFO topic put into law and legislation, that's very, very significant. And it's very significant for what's the level of accountability and what we'll see ultimately that's produced. Uh, cons wise, I think that uh, you know, they can do an absolutely expert job inside of this and they can solve lots of mysteries and uh, they can hold within their grasp uh, just irrefutable evidence that this, what this represents, uh, you know, and if it so long as it represents uh, what it appears to represent currently, which is inherently a demonstration of vulnerabilities to American and other countries, national defense, that's something that is going to be inherently classified. <laughs> it's going to be in here safeguarded as much as people want to uh believe or think that, uh, you know, if they, especially if they knew this was something that wasn't human, that that would be immediately shared with the world. And we would all, you know, this would be this great breakthrough. That's not how the defense world thinks. That's not what they're paid to do. And from them, they view it from a defense standpoint. And if they have something that they have no defense against, that's not something we're ever going to hear about. And that's, so that's very difficult. And I've always said, as long as it remains in the national security world solely, um, it's going to be very hard to get that uh, that information that people really want to see out there, the information that they can 
show to other people and say, look, here you go. This is irrefutable evidence that I'm not crazy. What I saw is what I saw. This is not just drones, balloons, birds, and swamp gas. Uh, that's, that's going to be a hard ticket to get out of, of the defense world until uh, it's something that where they, they've mitigated that risk or, or they have determined that it is not a risk, it's not a threat. And I'm, I'm not certain that that has, uh, you know, I have no evidence that that has ever been achieved, that, that they've ever conclusively ruled out in light of comments that they have made um, in public over decades where they said, I think even the UK government, that's their stance is uh, much like Blue Book, that uh, UFOs don't pose a threat to national security. Okay, cool. Well, what are they? You know, birds don't pose a threat to national security either, <laughs> but but I could read a book about them. So what are they? Um, I would say that that uh, that's probably that that alone has is probably a, a lie from governments when they say that it doesn't represent not that it does represent a threat, but rather that they have conclusively determined that it there isn't threat potential there. And so, yeah, it's it's an interesting slope as long as it remains there in the DOD. And, uh, you know, even if the, the people that may be in place now, if they're antagonistic towards the UFO topic, uh, you know, the ones I know, you trust that they're still defense professionals, they're going to handle it like defense professionals. And I think that's a concern for the public and the transparency side of things. It's interesting, Tim, on the pros that you're saying it's great things are getting signed into law. That's that's exciting. That's that's unprecedented. On the cons, um, the classified side of things, almost it's, they start to counteract each other, don't they? Because I've had this conversation with people, including um, some members of the of the U.S. forces, where they seem and they're very patriotic, and I understand that, and it's easier for me not being an American to, to talk about this kind of stuff, but. People lie and people circumnavigate the law. And if you're looking at a subject as as incredible and as classified uh, as UFOs or what they may or may not be, then it's not just as easy as as saying, well, it's now law, so you have to tell us everything you know. And in a little while, we're going to get to talking about the US Air Force, who I'm sure know plenty <laughs> of ways around those particular laws. And I'm sure already know what they can and can't do because part of that UAP task force they, they were instructed to comply and give information, and it looks like Chris Mellon's already come out and said, well, they didn't, did they? So just because it's law doesn't mean that we're going to get all that transparency we hoped for. No. You, you, absolutely. Uh, highly accurate point, and you're, you're 100% correct, especially in given the, the fact that... Um, you know, you know, after saying all of this of how the defense line thinking is that this has threat potential and therefore it has to remain in, in the classified and top secret world, uh, threat potential and threat are two different ballgames here. One is the potential to be threatening. The other is an actual overt threat. That latter, an overt threat, there's really no evidence for that whatsoever. I mean, there's plenty of instances that I'm aware of. There's plenty of instances where, you know, the Tic Tac could have fired on Fravor and Dietrich and didn't. And, you know, so there's all these things. Uh, we certainly haven't seen War of the Worlds here. So the consequences uh, of not being forthcoming, even when you're supposed to, and, and what you just mentioned, the circumventing of law and, and putting a half-hearted effort in it, uh, you know, you can certainly see people viewing those as reasonably low because it's not like uh, it's not like the consequences if you give a, a you know half an effort into looking to counterterrorism 
or something like that, where you run the risk that now you're going to have some type of terrorist event and it's going to be a loss of life and it's going to be a very big deal. These are huge consequences. Whereas you view this, hey, if I don't tell them everything, uh, we can make this go away. The likelihood that the outcome of this is going to be catastrophic or is going to make us look bad is low. So, yeah, no, you're, you're absolutely right. It's a, you know, it, it's, it's an interesting area that uh, you know, this extends beyond UFOs when it comes to the government is how forthcoming is the military being with the lawmakers that they're legally supposed to be. And uh, there's certainly you know, an abundance of evidence to suggest that if uh, any of the branches of military department of defense wants to be, uh, they want to you know, obstruct things, if they want to, just circumvent things for a host of reasons. They certainly will and can, you know, that often bring up the fact that uh, you know, the, the DOD was uh, ordered by executive order to provide a, an audit of their budget like 30 years ago <laughs> and still hasn't turned this thing in. So, I mean, yeah, they can, they can shuffle things around and, and, and push things around and especially it depends on how much of an issue does the public or lawmakers want to make it as well. I think that's, you know, are they going to be held accountable for that kind of stuff? Um, I think that's interesting. And I know you, you, that was one of the things that was interesting about Chris Mellon's article uh, that he did with us on the air force is he, he, I think uh, called out, uh, you know, appropriately instances where it seemed like people like lawmakers, like the task force, like the DOD, were allowing, you know, why were they allowing the Air Force to circumvent things and not provide data that's being asked for? Why is this being allowed to go on? Uh, that's a very good question. I wonder, uh, you, you mentioned, you know, what the expectations may be from this. Public hearings is something that gets brought up constantly. Is that something you think can realistically be expected to come from this in 2022? You mentioned holding people accountable. It's not something I'm necessarily concerned about myself. I don't feel that moves the conversation forward that we're all looking for to get the answers, but maybe it'll be a consequence of, of any kind of disclosure, if you want to call it that. But can we expect any kind of public hearings on, on UFOs being had? Um, I mean, if you were to ask my opinion right now as we see things, no, uh, just because I don't see the political pressure that goes into it, you know, in American politics, oftentimes, and if you, you think of the public hearings that uh, most people are familiar with, uh, I mean, public hearings go on all the time, just nobody watches C-SPAN, but uh, the ones that capture people's attention, they're very politically motivated. You know, it's the Russian interference election. So it's this politics, Republicans versus Democrats. Right now, it's the January 6th commission. It's very politically motivated, you know, when they bring big tech in and they yell at Mark Zuckerberg and the rest of them. There, there's there's big political motivations behind that. And presently, I don't see either side of the aisle viewing the UFO topic as a political issue, that they want to make the other side look bad for not taking care of, that kind of thing. Uh, and it's unfortunate because that's when we see a lot of public hearings occur. Um, the other side of that is that, that Congress doesn't have the authority to declassify stuff. So going back to what I mentioned about how much so much can be classified, so much can be guarded uh, as state secrets, um, they can request hearings, they can hold public hearings that are 
extremely limited, you know, you know, perhaps uh, very similar to essentially reading what was released in that preliminary report by ODNI last June. Um, reading that <laughs> or, or the equivalent of answering that, and then therefore, uh, even if you look at those uh, different hearings that I mentioned uh, earlier, you'll see public hearings, but then you'll see, you know, after lunch, we're going to have a closed door hearing about this. So that's where the classified information is, because at the end of the day, Congress cannot tell the DOD, uh, you need to declassify that. That actually, um, you know, has to come from the president. So, you know, the, the, the authority to classify anything is through the executive privilege. And so the president is the only person who has the authority to declassify anything. And, uh, I, you know, again, just going into, uh, if you ask my opinion right now, um, I, I wouldn't foresee that because, uh, there's been zero, you know, there's been zero evidence that, uh, the current president, president Biden has any interest in this or has certainly has made this an issue uh, amongst his executive branches and said, look, I want an answer to this and I want it to come out for the American people. Um, and so I don't see a lot of those parts in place. You know, those parts come in place. Um, perhaps you will. But uh, right now, I don't see any public hearings on the horizon. Do you think we necessarily need those public hearings to push this conversation forward? Is there going to be a benefit to that? Or is the best way to go forward with this to try and get some of those different departments working together in some capacity. I'm going to move on shortly to talk about the US Air Force and Chris Mellon's comments, but is the best way to have people like Chris Mellon and what he seems to be doing, putting pressure on those departments, you know what, this is going to go one of two ways and you can make it a lot easier for yourselves to cooperate and at least that way it gives them some measure of control. Sure. No, I, I, I do. I do see a benefit into these public hearings, uh, you know, especially in getting things moving forward. If, if for no other reason, than there's there's been stuff that uh, I, I have at times not made people too happy uh, about behind the scenes where I've reported on things that have been said during closed door meetings, uh, in particularly when uh, the director of the SAPCO, the special access programs uh, for the DOD, so the, the the office that's in charge of all the top secret stuff, the, the special access programs, uh, you know, has testified and said that, uh, the stuff in, you know, these Nimitz videos, the Rose, like this is not us technology. Um, and so there is, I think there's immense benefit, uh, for pushing the ball forward and getting a lot of people who are on the fence, who, uh, who, who don't view this as being maybe a big a mystery as it might be and kind of easily dismiss it as, well, yeah, maybe it's real tangible something. It's real tangible aerospace something, but it, it, it's got to be classified. Uh, I think there's huge benefit if you've got somebody like uh, the SAP co-director, if you've got, uh, you know, the, the, Air Force chief who's there testifying in front of Congress, sworn in under oath, uh, under threat of perjury and penalty of law. And he he or she says, you know, you know these objects that are, are being classified as UAP that have been observed or filmed by our service members, these are not Air Force technology. These are not DOD technology. Uh, because then you you have to make the decision. Well, are they just lying under oath and committing, you know, you know this this very public crime? Uh, you know, when they could say, "I'm not going to answer that." Um, and so I think 
to that degree, you're, you're going to, you're still going to have a lot of people that would still say that, Oh, they're, it's all just their lies. It's all a big smoke and mirrors. But I think a, a greater majority of people are going to see that and go, huh? Okay. Well, we can check that one off of the list. Uh, and, and I think it's, uh, yeah, it's certainly, it gives, uh, it, it's nice because though we, the public, don't necessarily get to ask those follow-up questions in these hearing settings, lawmakers do. And so I'm sure a lot of us, there's a lot of questions, uh, you know, after the preliminary report was released, I'm sure a lot of people had a lot of questions, a lot of follow-up that we'd like, you know, they, they write in there, the, uh, to some degree, this, uh, to understand these UAP sightings might require a, a new understanding of science. Like, you know, that's the one I think you want to raise your hand. And go, wait, <laughs> can we talk about that? Like, what do you, what makes you say that? And uh, because they put it there in paper, and uh, you know, I think the why would you say that is those are the questions that you get an opportunity to follow up and ask in a public hearing setting. So I certainly would be all for that. Um, I just don't see that uh, that potential right now. I think for me, something that was, was really evident was in the build-up to the UAP task force report, there was a groundswell of mainstream media attention, especially from a, a US point of view, the, where you saw people like Lou, Chris, Sean Cahill, and others appearing on, on major networks, major breakfast shows, talk shows, not just in the US, but around the world, discussing the subject, and that has... A great, great uh, reaction off the back of it. We saw J.J. Abrams' UFO series, albeit disappointing in parts, it still raises the profile of the subject. Demi Lovato's series went on as well. So there was a reaction, but it was like that spike, and then it went away because the report came out, and for the mainstream, it didn't say aliens, essentially, is, is what it boiled down to. Although if you look into it, it did not say that. Uh, from from our point of view. So we, we have this then quieter period where there's less of a mainstream interest in, I think, public hearings, like you say, C-SPAN, if that's a channel in the US over in the UK, <laughs> it's like there's the, the parliamentary channels and whatnot that are rarely watched. But if you had something like that, that certainly captures that imagination again, doesn't it, of the mainstream? Sure. No, I, absolutely. I, I think that, uh, and you bring up a really salient point. I'm glad you brought that up because I wasn't even thinking along those lines, which is <laughs> somewhat embarrassing since I run a media company. <laughs> because definitely we we had a lot more traffic when there was a UFO push because people were, were anxiously looking for that information every day. And, and so certainly whenever it, it's, it's coming in, into the eyes and you have, uh, you have outlets that don't cover it very frequently. You know, uh, some of them do infrequently, the, you know, the Washington Post, Politico, the New York Times. But but when you have that spread out across the land like that, and, and uh, particularly when you see, because you know, the New York Times did that before um, before the release of the ODNI report, which I was really re- impressed about, is they kind of revealed what the report was going to say generally beforehand. It was very consistent with the type of reporting that they do all the time. They're very well sourced. I mean, it's it's a very well, <laughs> it's the New York Times. And so they have great sources and everything, and they were treating it very much like they do every other national security and defense story and, and getting that information out there. And so, you know, there's, there's reams of information that assuredly uh, could potentially come out there when you have that mainstream interest, because, you know, I, I'm a realist. There's people like the times, people like, people like uh, the Washington post, people, people 
have bureau chiefs in DC. You know, it's much easier for them. I, I've got to work off of emails and phones where they can you know walk up and meet people face to face. And so there, there's potential information that uh, I would love to see that come out more. I'd love to see national security reporters report on that. And so with that interest, and certainly, you know, it's definitely one of these things, if there were public hearings announced, uh, you know, continued uh, legislative action that keeps coming up, that pushes it into the mainstream eye, that pushes it into other news outlets. They push their people to push on to their sources and everything to get information. So I think uh, there's significant benefit to it receiving more public attention, because I think for most people, you know, and I've I've said this with the UFO topic in general, because I think people that have followed it uh, or have at least become very well versed in it and they, they study the history and they realize this is something that has kind of been going on for decades and decades and decades. This is nothing new um, from what we see now is this kind of relearning process, this rediscovery process, because there's a there's generations of people that let's say post blue book who, who've kind of grown up under the impression that uh, UFOs really, that's like, you know, movies or sci-fi and, and, you know, people maybe see a meteor and they, you know, they they view it more as fantasy and and mythology and don't realize that there still are these very credible sightings and there's still these instances that, that defy any kind of explanation even for institutions like the Department of Defense, who are established to understand what's going on and flying around here. They, they need situational awareness. And so I think uh, the more attention that's out there, you get you capture those people who rediscover this idea that, oh, wait, really? This is real? I mean, it, it's, uh, you know, could could perhaps be likened to, the, to finding a, a the skeletal remains of Bigfoot. Suddenly we'd all be like, wait, hold on. You know, I just thought that was a really cool story. And we told it, and, you know, wait, that might be real. Uh, for a lot of people, I think that goes on. I mean, I've seen that from a lot of family and friends, uh, longtime family and friends who have never really paid much attention to it. But they're, you know, did you read this article about fast movers? I'm like, yeah, I, I wrote it. And they're like, oh, my goodness, this is real. <laughs> Roses are red, violets are blue, make sure your Tic Tacs are shiny and new. Valentine's Day is just around the corner and our sponsors at Manscaped are here for you with the best tools to get your orbs and crops ready for the special occasion. This Valentine's Day it's time to join the 4 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped, the leaders in below-the-waist grooming. With our exclusive offer, go to manscaped.com and use promo code ANDYUFO for 20% off and free shipping. The holidays went by so quickly. Did you remember to take care of your package with the best tools for the job? The Performance Package 4.0 from Manscaped is just the thing every guy needs in their life to make each and every day a little bit more special. The number one product in this package, as always, is the Lawnmower 4.0. This electric safe trimmer is designed to trim hair on loose skin. And get this, the trimmer's advanced skin-safe technology reduces cuts and nicks on your delicate orbs. It even has a 4000K LED spotlight that would put the Phoenix lights to shame. 
Did I mention it's waterproof too? Transmedium travel is no problem for this secret tech. The package also includes the weed whacker and two free gifts are thrown in as well. Their shed travel bag and anti-chafing boxers to help keep your boys stored comfortably. Ideal for travelling to South America to film documentaries on the phenomena. Who knows? Anyway folks, go to manscaped.com for our exclusive offer of 20% off and free shipping with the code ANDYUFO. Get something for yourself this Valentine's Day. Support Manscaped. Support the podcast. Thank you very much. You mentioned, Tim, about an increase, an increase in site traffic. And I'm sure one thing that will do that for you is an article by, by Christopher Mellon, which uh, has recently been published on the Debrief website. The article is titled, Why is the Air Force AWOL on the UAP Issue? The link for that will be in the description if you haven't read it already. It's fantastic, and as much detail as there is in there, it's a, an interesting read, even if you're not well-versed on the US military. Christopher Mellon does a very good job in explaining what he's talking about within that. Early on in the article, Chris talks about various different satellite systems that are unclassified that he can talk about, and I'm going to just read you a, a, small, a small piece that he writes after he's, he's listed many of these different programs or satellites, sorry, and different weapons, um, sensors and such. How is this possible in light of the US Air Force's global responsibility for aerospace defence and its massive air and space surveillance capabilities? Are we to believe that the US Air Force did not detect any UAPs from 2004 until 2021? This lapse in US Air Force reporting raises doubts about the credibility of the Air Force on the UAP issue and its responsiveness to civilian oversight. Is Chris Mellon essentially at that point calling out the US Air Force? Yeah, no. I, <clears throat> first of all, you know, uh, big kudos to Chris. You know, Chris, Chris, Chris authored that entire ar- article and put all that work into it. And he he mentioned working on this uh, months ago and mentioned it was something that he wanted to do and would be be interested in publishing it. And so absolutely, you know, it's definitely interesting. And big kudos to Micah Hanks, who was the editor of that. You know, a lot of work. Editors never get any good credit, uh, but they put significant amount of work into it. And, uh, you know, it's at the end of the day, it's Micah who makes that decision that uh, we included all of that information. That was one of the things I was very happy that we were able to, to publish it because I know just from experience and working with other outlets, you know, there was it was like an 8,500 word article, almost 9,000 word article. There's not many outlets that are going to let that go. Um, but I felt like everything that he put in there and even laying out all of these capabilities, and it was good. It was good information. It's good information people don't realize, but it, it makes that point that he was his overarching point that uh, you know, it's virtually impossible that the Air Force would not be detecting this stuff. It is virtually impossible that they would not have more information on this because they're the branch of the service that is supposed to be equipped to handle this. And their silence for the last four years on this has been deafening. It it has been uh, mystifying. (laughs) You know, I, I, I share in some of his sentiments of being flabbergasted, um, that you haven't had, anything coming out of the air force period. And, uh, you know, I certainly haven't, uh, I haven't come across some of the information that he shared in that article, uh, directly. So, you know, he mentioned the fact that, that air force pilots and, and officers and airmen were 
had, you know, have been warned and threatened. Don't, <laughs> don't talk to people. Don't do this. Don't do that. Um, I certainly, I hadn't heard that directly, but that makes perfect sense because, uh, you know, I've had the opportunity to talk to a lot of people uh, from a lot of different branches. And, uh, you know, there are people who reach out to me and contact me. Uh, the Air Force is one that I, zero, <laughs> you know, nobody whatsoever, nothing, absolute silence. Um, and so it, that certainly makes sense. And I think he, he he's spot on in saying that it is incredible that this is the branch with the, the biggest capabilities of it. And frankly, if we're talking about this, this topic uh, should have the most vested interest in it. A has been totally silent and B has been allowed to be totally silent on it. And uh, I, I wish I had a good explanation for that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, when you read the article, it certainly comes across like Chris is very much tongue in cheek, you know, telling the, the US Air Force, you know, you're lying about this. And it's almost like when you talk to a, a child that you know they're lying. Well, I can't <laughs> believe that you didn't do this when you know for a fact and I'm sure that's that's probably a good place to, to come from with this. I want to ask you, though, Tim, two scenarios. Um, which do you lean more towards? Scenario one, the US Air Force know nothing and can't say, I don't know about this subject, uh, and they won't admit they're failing in their duty. Or scenario number two, they know everything and they're keeping us in the dark. Mm. Could I get... Could I go with like a scenario three, which is they know much more and <laughs> keeping us in the dark? I don't. Yeah, okay. I, 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 yeah, I won't go all the way out and say they know everything because I, I don't know that. Um, but I, I, I certainly do believe that they know considerably more than they have uh, than they're letting on, uh, or that they would like to. Um, lead people to believe. And I think Chris, you're right. You know, that scolding kind of, uh, approach, he, he's accurate in that, in that, come on, you know, <laughs> you know, you're going to tell me you don't know anything. That's BS. You know, how does the Navy know something? How does the Coast Guard know something? How do these other people know something? You don't know nothing. There's no way. Uh, and so there certainly is at least enough there in kind of abductive logic using with the information we, we do know to say that the Air Force knows a lot more than they're letting on. Uh, and, and so the, the question really, I guess the biggest question here is why? Uh, and and so when I say that I, I don't know that, that's the part that, that is mysterious. But uh, I, I certainly think that, uh, I, I certainly think there's other components. I, I know that there's other components within government who know more about this particular subject. They know more about UAP. They, they've either encountered it or collected data e at, at times inadvertently. So, you know, they're doing something totally different. They're like, oh man, we just picked this up. I know there are other components uh, that are, that exist that uh, have existed and that information exists outside of the cogs in the wheel. They're outside of the, what, uh, you know, ATIP or OSAP or even the task force worked on. You know, that was, um, uh, I, maybe you'll ask me about this. Maybe it's a viewer question. I'm surprised if it wasn't because I'd mentioned a few weeks ago, maybe a month ago about, uh, anti-neutrinos, you know, people were talking about this idea of luring, uh, UAP in. And I just kind of mentioned, uh, you know, the, the anti-neutrino study done by, uh, 
the geospatial intelligence might be a good idea. And, and that that comes from information that comes from outside of the ATIP purview, let's say. So the, the Elizondo and the, uh, you know, the Bass people, maybe the, the, the usual suspects, let's say that. That, that comes out of that. Um, it comes out of it far enough that, uh, you know, I have on background or behind the scenes, ask some of those guys. I've asked Elizondo about does antineutrinos play into it? And uh, he seemed to legitimately, you know, express that it wasn't something that was involved in what they were doing at ATIP and everything. So I know there is other <laughs> evidence that comes out. There's other things that come out. Uh, and so it, it's the Air Force becomes the most obscene that's that's being silent. But they're, n- they're not by a long shot the only one <laughs> that is being silent. And antineutrinos, for anyone wondering why I'm not following that up straight away, is part of the, the conversation, but I'll get to that in just a few okay. minutes. All right. All um, right. Sorry. I, I do want, no, no, no. Just uh, I moved that around a little bit because I, th- I felt it was best to go into Chris's article at the moment. Um, something else Chris mentioned was that. Uh, many unclassified systems that the Air Force has at its disposal. In particular, he talks about systems that can track um, ICBMs, intercontinental ballistic missiles aimed at the United States. And he asks again, did none of these pick up the objects from the 2004 Nimitz event? If these had picked them up, Tim, and, and the US Air Force with these systems were aware of the Nimitz event, which, remember, happened over, what, seven to ten days. It wasn't a Fravor encountered something and that was it. It happened over over a week. What do you think the Air Force was doing with this data as they get it? Simply observing? Are they monitoring? Or are they turning off the monitors and looking the other way? You know, I wish that I had a good answer for that. And I go back and forth on my personal opinion of it from thinking that either there is significant just naivety or there's just, uh, I've often called it just, you know, willfully oblivion, oblivion, a willful, willful apathy towards it, where it's kind of just look the other way and pretend it's not there, uh, whether that's institutionalized, it's just kind of the, the culture in, in the organization type thing. Uh, to some degree, I think there you're going to see some of that. And so, you know, you, you can pick up something. It's like, I have been told that is not real. I will keep looking the other way. Um, I think that that's, that's true. Uh, but then I go back and forth and go, well, what are they doing? You know, it, it goes, I guess it goes back into something we talked about early on about how do you handle uh, b- big secrets and especially how do you handle a big secret that uh, you view as being completely vulnerable to? and defenseless to when your business is defense. Uh, how do you manage that secret? How do you handle that? And, and uh, could the does the potential exist out there that uh, the Air Force or, or some kind of carve out of it, um, you know, recognizes that these things are real events, recognizes that this is uh, persistently going on, but views it in that they're defenseless to it, and frankly, doesn't know what it is doing. Why, you know, so now now we're acting on the hypothesis that this is inhuman or this is something other. Um, what is it doing? 
And if you can't answer that, you know, from a defense perspective, you start doing the checklist. You know, I know a lot of people think, well, it's here to make us peace, love and happy. And they're here so we don't blow each other with nuclear weapons. They really didn't do anything. You know, they haven't stopped that. <laughs> they certainly didn't stop us when we, uh, you know, killed uh, thousands of innocent people with a nuclear weapon. And they haven't stopped when we've destroyed our, our environment by testing them all the time. So that doesn't seem there's no evidence for that. Uh, so what are they doing? And so is this idea, does the potential exist? Can you conclusively rule and take it off the table that this is not something that's doing uh, pre-battlefield intelligence? You know, the same thing we do before you go into war. You, you make sure you got everything about the terrain, everything about the combatants, everything that you can about it before you go engage in a conflict. You know, is that what's going on? Um, you know, I don't, there's no evidence for that either. But at the same time, if you don't know what's going on, is it something that you can completely remove off the table? I would say no. And so just based on that alone, do you engage in this kind of uh, long running systemic secrecy? Maybe, you know, maybe you know, it, it's as long as it's an unknown, I think it would be reckless for anybody to to outwardly say what is or isn't true. Um, at least in the parameters of plausibility, <laughs> if that makes sense. Uh, we hear about so many things within organizations where at the highest level, something untoward has been going on. Uh, maybe it's been, you know, systematic bullying or, or whatever it may be. You know, there's so many things. But if you're directly below that level, that you can't influence what happens, but for your own sake and for your own role and job, you, you allow it to happen, you ignore it there's that possibility that's what's happening here with the Air Force in the sense that we know there's something, we can't do anything about it. It massively weakens us and makes us look poor. So what we can do is just turn the other cheek and let it go on until it does directly affect us. Sure. No, I, and uh, yeah, absolutely. You know, down to the fact that I, I think I've said that uh, out of all of the idea of there being crashed UFO recoveries, uh, Roswell being real, the most plausible scenario I ever heard was, and it was one I never considered before, was this idea that, uh, yes, something could have crashed. Let's say Roswell. Yes, something could have been recovered, but its, uh, it, its technology was so far beyond our understanding that we simply couldn't figure it out. And so you're looking at it from the perspective of, I could spend my entire defense budget trying to figure this out. And I'm still not going to be any closer than I was beforehand. And meanwhile, life goes on. The world goes on. You, you've got, uh, you know, if you put it in modern perspective, you've got this uh, potential and threat of war in Ukraine right now between Russia. There's a lot of there's a lot of tension in geopolitics. And you realize if I dump my whole defense budget into figuring this out and am no closer. Meanwhile, my potential near peer adversaries, Russia, China, they're building bombs, they're building planes, they're building aircraft carriers that can be used against me. So I'm actually going to put myself in a more vulnerable position. So we're just going to box that up. <laughs> we're going to put it in the archives, you know, like like Raiders of the Lost Ark. And we're going to check, uh, you know, every how many ever decades and try to see, you know, where are we, where is our science, where is our level of understanding and are we at a position now where we can better understand this or make use of it. If we're not, we're going to box it back up. 
that doesn't sound crazy to me. Mm. <laughs> you know, I, maybe people uh, would think that, uh, you know, the Air Force or the government or whoever would run out and, you know, look at this alien body, everybody. Ah, I'm not so sure, especially if you don't know anything. <laughs> if you're like, I don't know who this is, what this is and what the intent is. Um, that's that's a scary position to be in, especially when you're talking about governments and institutions built on public faith, trust. You know, we put considerable faith and trust into our governments to care for our welfare. And if they come out and say, I mean, that's crazy, guys. I don't we ain't got a clue here. I think it um, even if it's implicitly, it erodes our faith in that government. We're, we're less likely to put faith in government then. And so I, it's. What you the scenario you presented there, I think it is is very plausible. I mean, I I know it is because that's in, in interviews that when I, I spoke to you know, people like uh, former Secretary of the Navy Ray Mabus, you know, that was I asked him, you know, when he told me, yeah, this stuff happens. You know, they have these weird sightings. He knew about the Roosevelt. He knew about these incidents, and he's like, the military folks just never really gave an explanation. They never they were just yeah, we don't know. And I was like, did you never want to follow up on that? <laughs> did you never say, well, damn it. No, you're going to find out. And he was like, you know, my my bandwidth for stuff that I had to deal with was was limited. And you've got so much going on. When, when I talked to the uh, the advisors for this uh, secretary of defense, Mattis, who had been briefed by Lou Elizondo and, and you know, they legitimately were like, no, I, I trust the information they were saying was real. You know, this is not some big LARP or whatever. They're like, no, this really happened inside professional settings, inside uh, real official areas. And they were like, but man, we had so much going on at the time. And the UFOs weren't attacking us and they weren't posing a risk. Whereas we we did have real real world risk that, that we had to mitigate. And so, yeah, I think that that... Uh, that absolutely, that scenario absolutely exists. That Roswell scenario of having the, the technology crash that you have no idea what it, where to even begin, it reminds me of that advert that went viral a few years ago where a daughter buys her, her elderly father, I think it is, like an iPad, but he doesn't know what the iPad is for. And she turns around in the kitchen one day and he's using it as a chopping board and he, 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 he takes the vegetables off it and rinses it under the, the sink and he's like, oh, this is great for this use. And is that where we were potentially at when this this saucer crashes, if that's what it was? And we look and go, where's the control panels? Where's the exhaust? Where's the windows? Where's the door? There isn't any. Let's just put it away in a box. And like you say, well, Indiana Jones for it, where it's in an archive somewhere. And, and you can't spend the amount of effort and time into figuring something like that out without... Uh, you can keep that out of the public's eyes pretty well. But you can't keep that out of your adversary's eyes. And, and I, you know, I've used the example of the atomic bomb. Uh, you know, here is the most destructive weapon that uh, has ever been known by mankind. Uh, so destructive that uh, you know, full-scale nuclear war amongst countries could end the world. <laughs> we could cause our own extinction. So we, there's not really anything we can know of and can think of that should be more controlled or that you wouldn't want potential adversaries possessing. But yet, you know, if you look at the atomic weapon, uh, the Russians were already uh, had already been able to steal atomic secrets and kind of had an idea of the bomb being built 
before it was ever dropped, you know, before going back a year before 1945. And so it wasn't long after before uh, we saw the Soviet Union has their own nuclear weapons. And now you have all this. And so, yeah, when you put that much effort into it, you've also got to recognize that you're going, uh, the potential is that somebody else figures it out first. And, uh, you know, are they going to weaponize it, this type of thing? Uh, there's a lot of things that I imagine go through defense leaders' minds in a scenario like that. I'm curious on your thoughts, Tim. Chris Mellon repeatedly goes back to, in any of his conversations or on the news, or on documentaries and talking head pieces and articles, the, the possibility of some of these objects being of an extraterrestrial origin. However, Luella Zondo, more and more, seems to talk about objects of non-human origin being potentially from other dimensions, other realities, potentially being based here, based based on Earth somewhere in some way, shape or form. Is this deliberate, do you think, that they both go down these routes, but they, they both seem to have, obviously, alternative views on what this could be? Sure. And, you know, and I, I definitely don't want to speak on behalf of Chris or Lou, uh, but I think that... Uh, that's very common, not just with them, but but any of the major players, you might say. So any of the well-known people, you know, Gary Nolan, Eric Davis, these people, I think we, uh, you know, th- they're certainly past the point where they believe that these events are real, or that these objects are real, that these are real, uh, something's really going on. Um, but what that really represents, I think, uh, the I know a lot of people believe that that's, uh, that's not true, you know, that the government or somebody, whether it's MJ-12 or whatever, knows everything. They've made the secret treaty with the Greys and all of this. But I think, you know, when you look at the fact that there, when we get to well, what exactly does this represent, that we see differences of opinion in people like Lou and Chris, I think that really demonstrates that, no, I don't know that we're there. I don't know that anybody has that final answer. This is what it is. This is where it comes from. This is how it does what it does. I don't know that anyone has that. And so it leaves into this last, well, you know, what are your, what, what is the most plausible or what theory do you believe is most likely? And so, you know, I think for Chris, uh, at, uh, based on his comments, there would be extraterrestrial Lou, maybe it, you know, it, it could, it's something other than extraterrestrial. I think it's, uh, at the same time, I think all of the terms they've used are kind of synonymous because it's if it's not human and it's not then it's extraterrestrial and it's not us it's it's all one and the same even if it was interdimensionals i think we could make the point well that's still alien <laughs> they're still coming from an alien land um and so i don't i wouldn't say i've never got the feeling that 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 represents that one of them or or any one person's kind of uh conclusion to what it is is more correct than the other Tim, you uh, caused a little bit of a uh, Twitter stir or storm um, when you dropped in, like you mentioned earlier. It was a a bit of a thread that was going on talking about UEP baiting and how these things may be attracted. And and I think you you dropped in a little bomb of perhaps a good place to start in tying in some of the threads of UFO coaxing would be to look into the National Geospatial Intelligence Agency's 2015 Global Mapping of Antineutrinos. I mean, that rolls off the tongue, and if you're just pulling <laughs> that one straight off the top of your head, that's amazing. Um, for folks who don't know, what's an antineutrino? 
Sure. Antineutrino is just a, a byproduct of a neutrino. So it's the opposite of a neutrino. And uh, in, in the context that I was kind of mentioning it, I mean, you, you see, you have antineutrinos in anything that you have radiation. So you've got radiation, you've got uh, both neutrinos and then antineutrinos, but then they're also a byproduct of um, radioactive processes, um, you know, like uh, nuclear reactors. So you know, nuclear submarines or nuclear bombs, that type of thing. And uh, anything, anything that's, that's nuclear like that, uh, anything that's radioactive is going to likewise give off neutrinos and antineutrinos. And so that is my very uh, rudimentary definition there, because I, I will caveat, I'm not a physicist. <laughs> People like me definitely appreciate that. Uh, now, <laughs> that uh, 2015 map, shows reactors, large potassium deposits, all things that we hear may potentially attract UAP, I would ask, would nuclear-powered Navy fleets also give off antineutrinos? Sure, yeah, and that's uh, the, the idea of detecting antineutrinos uh, has been something that uh, has been really on the, the forefront and on the cutting edge of the defense research world's mind for a number of years, you know, let's say the last 10 years. Because uh, the potential exists for both uh, intelligence purposes, nuclear proliferation, you know, it, it's a byproduct of, of uh, you know, developing. If you, do, if you develop a nuclear bomb, you're going to be given off antineutrinos. And so the ability to detect that at range and over the horizon is a huge capability because now you have an idea of, you know, has... Has Iran developed a, a nuclear weapon? We now know. Uh, in addition to the fact that uh, she mentioned with nuclear submarines, you know, if you can detect that, the, because the object with these subs and they continue to get quiet, more quiet and quiet, and these stealth subs, uh, it becomes harder to detect uh, subs uh, by our traditional means. And so, this idea that you could detect antineutrinos, uh, not only would you be able to detect those subs, you could basically follow them around, like you know, from afar, from your satellites. And so there's been a significant amount of work, uh, not published, very limitedly you know, published work um, on the, the, the idea of trying to track down antineutrinos or, or developing devices that can, de can detect and track antineutrinos in the defense world. And, and really kind of hitting its peak around that 2015-16 timeframe when uh, geospatial intelligence did their neutrino mapping where do you sit and, and what have you heard, Tim, on the Navy or, or otherwise using potentially nuclear materials, to, for lack of a better term, to, to attract or, or bait or coax UAPs? I, you know, I have heard that, you know, and I, I think I published that in an article that, uh, you know, that I have been told that, that the, the use of... Uh, nuclear assets to attract or bait them. Um, now, whether that is uh, by intentional operational plan, meaning that, you know, hey, we're going to bring out all these nuclear assets and bait them in, or whether it is, hey, we've got a lot of nuclear assets already going out to do workups or whatever. Let's go out with our detectors and see what we can find. I don't know that. But I do know that that the idea of using the potential for nuclear um, powered uh, defense devices, you know, aircraft carriers, submarines to, uh, to enhance your ability to capture, uh, UAP. I know that that, that's something that, uh, several people have said going back into the ATIP days when, uh, Lou Elizondo was there, that that was something that was definitely looked into and exercised. Um, 
when I mentioned this anti-neutrino mapping. That's why I'm glad you I'm glad you brought it up. I mean, that's why I jumped into it early. In fact, is because uh, you know it, it's it's hard to convey exactly what I'm trying to say when I just throw something out there on Twitter, uh, especially when in this instance you're kind of like, hey, it'd be great if some of you guys, you know, I'm crowdsourcing. <laughs> intelligence work there. I'm crowdsourcing. Uh, hey, can you guys help look into this some more too? Because I haven't had the time to effectively really dive into it. But uh, it, it came from, uh, you know, early on. And and I say that uh, that was stuff that came from outside of the, the ATIP crew or the, the usual suspects crew, but but just in early days of me looking at this subject and and leaning on people that I knew and trusted and, and had known and had close relationships for a long time and saying, so what do you, what do you know about this? What do you think about this? And, and this, um, the idea of a uh, little more than, you know, you should check out the, some of the anti-neutrino stuff that, you know, that's going on or what maybe was picked up during some of the anti-neutrino surveys, that kind of thing. Um, and so it got me very interested in it. Uh, but A, it's, it's, that's a difficult thing to dive too much into because it, it is a very highly classified area. Um, and then that, that kind of idea that antineutrinos could play a part of in it uh, was actually only exasperated uh, a few years ago when uh, a very close, good friend of mine who is also uh, a journalist who also you know, is not a UFO journalists, by any means, um, uh, they they have written on the topic some, but they're a very well respected, well known national security um, defense reporter, and somebody that I know firsthand is you know, really just uh, exceptionally sourced in that world, and they brought that up to me uh, out of the blue. <laughs> you know, he's like, "What do you think about this?" And I went, "Holy cow!" You're the only the second person I've ever heard that. And, and both of us uh, were hearing that from sources that would have been in similar kind of arenas. And uh, I felt like we're really solid individuals. And so what how the antineutrino thing goes into it, um, I, I don't have a good answer for that. When I brought it up in the context of how would you use that for baiting, it was more you know, you take back the. You, you you pull back a little bit and take the 50,000 foot overview of everything first and say, okay, if I am going to engage and believe and, and assume that you, this is something that can be baited, then I am acting on the assumption or the knowledge that this is a persistent, uh, you know, something, this is something that's persistent rather than just transient, you know, you're, you're not going to go fishing in a pond that you know fish occasionally swim through maybe once a year, but rather the one that you know that there's going to be fish there. You're, that's when you're going to bait it and try to, to uh, catch fish. And so that 50,000 foot view is you have to understand that if they're going to bait it, the, the assumption that this is a persistent thing is already there. On top of the fact that you have some type of intelligence that you know where to put those bait traps out at. You know, you're, you you have been able to narrow down areas of interest. You know what ponds are, are, are stocked and, and have the big fish. And so, for example, the Catalina Islands is rumored heavily to be one of those places. 
Right. You know, you've got a lot of these stories from uh, off the East Coast now. And uh, absolutely, you know, right there in that Southern California range area, you've got these uh, lots of accounts. So these would be areas where you would say, OK, that's a good spot to do it. Uh, the, the interesting thing with the geospatial uh, anti-neutrino map is that's a global map. So you have this global widespread uh, overview of it. And that opens up a whole new potential that if you're going to bait something like this and you want to do it covertly, I'm not going to bait it off of Catalina Island <laughs> because there's probably, it's probably going to show up on you. Know, you and I are going to be talking about that cool YouTube video of the UFO that people captured because we baited it out. But if there's perhaps areas where there are hot spots that are very remote, I mean, the, especially when we're talking about the Navy and we're talking about the oceans, you know, the, the, the earth is far more covered by the oceans. And so if you've got remote areas and, and that you know are good, quote, fishing holes, um, and could this be potentially achieved by looking at that anti-neutrino map where you're identifying, you have anti-neutrino um, you're getting anti-neutrinos, you're detecting them in areas where there shouldn't be. And now in terms of that, I'm not entirely sure that, uh, you know, to save some people some time of like looking at uh, the anti-neutrino map pixel by pixel, I'm not sure that that's granular enough. You know, you would have to really uh, maybe get into the real data of that to where you could pick up that type of stuff. Um, but that's what I was getting at when I mentioned that, is that I, I do think that there's some type of anti-neutrino component to this. Uh, how that exactly factors in, I'm I'm still not clear on. It's crowdsourcing. I was hoping you, UFO Twitter has a, an amazing ability to, uh, <laughs> to solve all sorts of mysteries uh, when they put their mind to it. That is all for this week's show. Thank you very much for listening. Please remember to leave the podcast a review on your chosen platform. You can like, retweet and subscribe. That would all be very much appreciated. The shows are being uploaded onto YouTube as we speak more and more. You can sign up at patreon.com forward slash that UFO podcast to access the shows ad free as well. Please get in touch on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, that UFO podcast. Of course, on Twitter, it's at UFO, U-A-P-A-M. And again, folks, as always, keep looking up. You never know what you might see. It wasn't a tic-tac and not quite a saucer, more like a hubcap designed by Chaucer, a little Baroque and quite steampunk, like Alice was playing bass for the Parliament of Folk. The little fucker hovered right outside of my window, and when I shoved out the screen, he made it an issue. I don't think he expected me to see his ass, but I'd had some champagne and smoked a little around. Meditative game of state full on meta. I can't imagine how it could have been any better. I got to the top of the stairs and there he was. Like, you awake? I was about to abduct you, cuz. If you really want to know who I think they'd be against you,
For being a serious, open your mind, consider your heart, consider time, consider your space, consider your lies, consider your life, consider your eyes.